0: The title of the sermon, Your King Has Come. Your King Has Come. We have a particular privilege in the United States that has gone on since the beginning of this country whereby we live under a constitutional republic. A constitutional republic is a great blessing because within a constitutional republic there are checks and balances. There are checks to the power that government can have over the people. And yet, it has often been remarked, and it is indeed very true, that a constitutional republic, while a tremendous form of government in that it takes into account the sin nature of a man, is probably the second best form of government you can have. And I suppose that this topic is debatable. Some of you who are very politically minded uh, might disagree with me here, but me, being politically minded myself, uh, agree with this statement that constitutional republic is probably the second best government. And I would think that the best government, and I believe that the Scriptures bear out, that the best government one can have is a benevolent monarchy where there is a king who is good, and godly, and right. The best government one can have. Because when the king leads, absolutely the people follow their king. Now we don't have a king in this country and we are seeing right now that the people do not necessarily have to follow the leadership of the country. In fact, our government is built that way on purpose. But just because we are under a president in this country we as believers in this room are indeed still under a king. In the book of Esther, Mordecai lived in the capital of Persia, Shushan. And every day the king would come through Shushan and everyone would bow down to the king. And Mordecai, possibly along with other Jews, would not bow down as the royal procession went by. And later, Prince Haman would go through the streets and Mordecai would not bow down as Prince Haman would go through the streets. And Haman was very angry at that. And when people would ask Mordecai, why is it that you will not bow when the royalty comes through the streets, he says, I bow to one, the God of heaven. Mordecai understood something, that there are human kings and they come and they go, but in reality... We serve a higher king. We serve a greater king. We serve one who we call the King of Kings. And this king that we serve came to earth about 2,000 years ago. He is come as it was promised He would. I direct your attention to Micah chapter 5, verse 2 we don't quite we're not quite in a text yet this evening this evening's message you notice i didn't hand out outlines today i've been hoping that today's messages are perhaps a little more pensive a little bit more of you sitting and thinking as opposed to you scribbling and writing that doesn't mean you can't take notes by any means but i i didn't provide notes today because I was intending and desiring that these messages would just be a little bit more thought-provoking than necessarily those jewels of wisdom that you take with you and you use throughout the week. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the Scriptures tell us this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, who is going forth have been from old, from everlasting. About 2,500 years ago, a promise was given, recorded by the prophet Micah, that a king was going to come to Israel. And he was going to come out of a little town known as Bethlehem. This king would become the ruler, the ruler in Israel. And notice it says there, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. This was going to be a king who was from eternity. God was promising that He, God Himself, would be ruling on the throne in Israel. Israel knew this. They knew what this promise meant. This king would be the seed of the woman that was promised to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He would be the blessing to all nations that was promised to Abraham In Genesis chapter 12, he would be Shiloh as was promised to Judah by his father on his deathbed. He would be the seed of David who would rule over God's people. He would be the suffering king spoken of in Isaiah that we'll look at more this evening. He would be Hosea's lion of the tribe of Judah, victorious over all of his enemies and the bearer of all the promises of God to the nation of Israel. But even more than all of these things, He was to be a king. And not just a king over the Jews, but a king over the world. His reign would expand to every corner of eternity so that at the completion of all things, at the end of this age and the beginning of eternity, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This promise found in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 was fulfilled some 400 years later. We haven't really talked about the Christmas story yet for those of you that'll be here on Tuesday you'll hear it but let's talk about it a little bit together. I like to do this particularly because there's a few errors in the Christmas story as we hear it today, and it's nice to clear those up every year. A man named Joseph and his espoused wife Mary took a journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the Roman census and taxation. About nine months earlier, Mary had been told that she was with child, conceived of the Holy Ghost, that she would bear a child. Joseph was considering putting her away because she was with child, though she had not known him, and yet an angel came to him and said, Do not fear to take her as your wife. That which is in her is conceived of the Holy Ghost, and he is to be blessed, and you will call his name Jesus. So Joseph, a man of faith, took Mary to be his wife, and they're traveling to Bethlehem for the taxation and the census. Mary was great with child in her ninth month, ready to be delivered, the Scriptures tell us, and while they were there... The time was accomplished that she should be delivered. That she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And she lay him in a manger. This was not just any child, however. Mary knew that. Joseph knew that. That evening, shepherds watching their flocks by night would see angels come to them and announce the glad tidings of the birth of the king. Of the birth of the savior. Of the birth of the one who would to be called Emmanuel, God with us, because he would save his people from their sins. It was as much as two years after the birth of Jesus that a group of wise men would arise from the east. We don't know how many wise men, but we do know what they were there to do. They were there to worship the child who was born. King of the Jews. In Luke 22, the scriptures tell us this. And when the days of her, that's Mary's, purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Let me tell you what happened after Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. According to the scriptures in Leviticus, Mary would have been unclean for 40 days following the birth of a man-child. On the eighth day after the birth of Jesus Christ, he would have been circumcised and named Jesus. Another 32 days later, Mary was now clean, according to the Jewish uh, cleansing rituals, and they would take their journey to Jerusalem because Jesus was their firstborn child. All the way back in the book of Exodus, God said, the firstborn child of every family is mine. I get him. If you want him back, you can have him back, but you must redeem him. You must go to the temple and you must either sacrifice a lamb or if you're very poor, you sacrifice two doves or two pigeons. And when you make that sacrifice, you have redeemed your child so that you can raise him up and... Um, Of course, certainly raise him up in the fear and nurture and admonition of the Lord. But so that you can have the child, I lend him back to you, as it were. And so, according to the scriptures, Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem to offer this sacrifice. And the scriptures tell us that they offered two doves, which tells us that they were very poor people. They didn't have the money to afford a lamb. They, they sacrificed the doves. While they were there, performing this sacrifice according to the law, there were many who confirmed Jesus Christ as Messiah at that time. In Luke 2, verse 39, the Scriptures tell us that when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. So the timetable is as such. Jesus is born, circumcised. Forty days later, they're in Jerusalem. When everything that needed to be done in Jerusalem was done, the Scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 2 that they returned to Nazareth. So now, after a couple of months, they are back in Nazareth. I refer you now to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, which tell us this. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Matthew tells us that these wise men, we do not know how many, most likely it was more than three, that these wise men... Followed a star until they came over the place. Well, they followed the star first to Jerusalem. And when they were in Jerusalem, they asked King Herod, Where is he that is to be born king of the Jews? They said, We've seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Herod was fearful. Who is this king? Is there supposed to be a king? What is this star in the east? What are these prophecies they're speaking of? So he calls those of Israel, the the scribes, the Pharisees, those who knew the law, and he said, where is this king supposed to be born? They looked in probably Micah and said he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. The Scriptures tell us, Bethlehem Ephrata, out of this small city will come our king. Well, the wise men are elated. We know where our king is to be. Herod says, you go and you find that king. And when you found that king, you come back and you tell me where that king is so that I may worship him as well. the Scriptures say that the wise men departed from there. And when they departed from there, they again saw that star. And they rejoiced in seeing that star again. And it tells us that the star led them to where Jesus was. And so Matthew 12, uh, well, not quite there yet. <laughs> the star led them to where Jesus was. So the question that we ask is this. Where was Jesus? Where was Jesus? We'll answer that in just a moment. The wise men go and they worship this young child. Jesus, they lay before Him kingly gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Three kingly gifts, and then they depart. The Scriptures tell us that they were warned in a dream that they should not go back to Herod, and they departed Another way. And immediately after that, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, the scriptures tell us this. And when they were departed, that's the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So Herod, having heard that the wise men went back another way, Decided he was going to take matters into his own hands. And if you recall what the decree was, it was that every child under the age of two in Israel should be killed. Why under the age of two? Well, because it was determined by these scribes and these Pharisees and those who knew the law, that most likely the time of Jesus' birth would have been approximately two years from that point, or... One and a half, somewhere around there. What we understand from this is that Jesus Christ was not a newborn when these wise men came and found Him. In fact, He could have been upwards to two years old. That means He was not in Bethlehem when they found Him because 40, 50 days after Jesus' birth, they returned to Nazareth. And so, though it shouldn't upset us or anger us or anything of the sort, when we see those nativity scenes, let's be careful that we understand that there's a little bit of error in those scenes. The wise men would not have been there on the night of Jesus' birth. The wise men came a little bit later. Jesus was not a newborn when they came to Him. He would have been a young child at the time. And it was not in Bethlehem that they found Him. It was in Nazareth that they found Him. So the Scriptures tell us that immediately after the wise men left, Joseph packs up his family and he departs to Egypt until the time that Herod dies. After Herod's death, the Lord appears to Joseph again and says, it's safe now. All those who have sought the life of your child are gone. You may now return to Israel. And so he packs up his family and he comes back out of Egypt into Israel. And the Scriptures tell us in the book of Luke chapter 2 that by age of 12, at least, Jesus was again in Israel and going every year with his family to the Passover feast in Israel. So how long was he in Egypt? We do not know. But we do know that at least by age 12 he was back. In Israel, And the Scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 2 that when He returned, He abode again in Nazareth. All of that, I suppose we can call the introduction, the historical introduction, just to clarify the Christmas story a little bit. As we continue now, I would like us to consider this one, this child, this young boy, the King who was to come. And I'd like us to consider three attributes of this king of the Jews this evening, because he's not just king of the Jews, he's king of us as well. And so let's consider first of all this evening, Jesus, the rejected king. Jesus, the rejected king. Please turn with me to Isaiah 52. In Isaiah 52, we see the beginning of a prophecy that continues into Isaiah 53 in regard to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's read verses 13 through 15 of Isaiah 52. The Scriptures tell us, Behold, My servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonied at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. When you read verses 13 and 14, verse 13 saying that this servant shall be extolled, exalted, and be very high, only to read the next verse where it says, His visage, that's His face, would be so marred, so mangled, that you can't even distinguish Him as a man. Have you ever wondered how those verses fit together? Perhaps we haven't, because we know the story of Jesus Christ. But could you imagine what was running through Isaiah's mind when he was writing these words by inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He's writing... God, as God's as God saying, my servant shall be extolled and exalted and very high. He says, yes, that's the Messiah. Here he comes. He's going to be exalted. He's going to be the extolled one. He's going to be the one lifted high by God. And the next words God tells him to write by inspiration are, his face was marred more than any man. A big question mark probably popped above Isaiah's head. What in the world am I writing? What is going on that this Messiah, that this One who is to be extolled and is to be exalted, would be marred so badly you couldn't even distinguish Him as a man? How could one so exalted by God find such abuse among men? Consider with me Isaiah 53. We continue in this prophecy, Isaiah 52 Those three verses speak of the the servant that is exalted and extolled. In Isaiah 53, the Scriptures continue describing this servant. And in verse 3, we see this phrase, He is despised and rejected of men. In verse 4, we see another phrase, Surely He hath borne our griefs. And in verse 10, we see another phrase, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. The first phrase we see there describes our attitude toward the King. The human attitude toward the King. The Scriptures tell us mankind despised this King and rejected this King. The King who created all and who sustains all. The King by whose grace we find life and health. The King through whose mercy we take our next breath was despised and rejected of men. See, this king wasn't our kind of king. This king didn't come riding an exalted steed with money and fanfare and beauty. This king came through a poor family that couldn't even afford a lamb to redeem him. Had to settle for the two doves. This king came born in a manger, in a stall in Bethlehem because there was no room for him in the inn. This king came not to the fanfare of princes and nations, but to the rejoicing of shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. And see, the human element doesn't like that kind of a king. We want to follow someone who's tall, who's strong, who's got it all together. And this king came humble, meek. We could even say weak. So the first phrase describes our reaction to this king. The second phrase describes the king's attitude toward us. Surely he hath borne, our griefs. In the midst of our rejection of Him, He bore our grief. We owed God a ransom we could never pay we talked about this morning. And Christ paid it for us. The King paid it for us. Could you imagine? Could you imagine you owed a debt you could never pay? And they slap you in handcuffs and they are carrying you off to prison until you pay your debt to society. And you don't get a letter of pardon from the king that says you can let him go. You get a letter that says the king's coming down. Take the shackles off of him and slap him on the king. And put that king in prison. Let the king pay the debt for him. This rejected king bore our griefs, carried our sorrows he's the kind of king who paid our debt not because we loved him but because he loved us so that first phrase describes our attitude toward the king the second phrase describes the king's attitude toward us the third phrase describes god's attitude toward the king in verse 10 yet it pleased the lord to bruise him what a strange phrase The the face of the man who was so marred you couldn't even tell he was a man. The lashings that Jesus received, the crown of thorns upon his head, the nails through his hands, and the scriptures tell us that as the Lord looked upon this from heaven, he was pleased. Not because of the suffering his son was going through, but because of what that suffering was going to accomplish. Not inherently because his son was going through pain and agony, but the reality that in going through that pain and agony, his son submitted himself completely to the will of the Father. And the Father was pleased. The King paid our debt so that God's perfect will could be accomplished and we could be numbered among the redeemed. We continue to consider Isaiah Chapter 52 and 53. And the Scriptures tell us this at the end of chapter 53, verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Because he stood between us and God, Because He took upon Himself the pain and the agony that we could not bear. That we could not pay. The Scriptures tell us that this King, Jesus Christ, was given a portion with the great. That's where Isaiah 52, verse 13 comes in. He was exalted. He was extolled. He was lifted up because He obeyed the Father's will. So this rejected king is still a king. Make no mistake, he is a king. Jesus is the rejected king. Second, we see that Jesus is the conquering king. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, please. Daniel chapter 7 is a very special portion of Scripture. In verses 1-8 through 8 of Daniel chapter 7, we see a vision described in great detail of four beasts. The first beast that we see is a lion with eagle's wings. And as Daniel watched, he says, these wings of this lion were plucked. And the lion was given the heart of a man and he was placed upon his feet. As Daniel saw this vision, this vision was to be a representation of the mighty kingdom of Babylon and its king, Nebuchadnezzar. The king would be humbled and in his humility he would submit himself to God. He would find salvation by faith and he would be exalted for that. Babylon was the lion with wings he saw a second beast. And the Scriptures tell us that this second beast was like a bear. And this bear had one side higher than the other side and he had three ribs in his mouth. This beast was a representation of the kingdom of Medo-Persia, which conquered Babylon. This kingdom would be strong. It would rule for many years. One element of the kingdom was higher than the other as the Medes were always stronger than the Persians. The third beast that Daniel saw in his vision was a leopard with four wings and four heads, a representation of swiftness and of power that was meant to represent the Grecian empires with Alexander the Great as Alexander the Great swept through the world and conquered Medo-Persia and conquered Egypt and really conquered the entire world in a very short span of time until the point where he wept and he simply said there's nothing left to conquer. And then finally, Daniel said, I saw a great beast. We don't know what this beast looks like. Daniel could not describe this beast. This one kind of looks like a Tyrannosaurus rex. We don't know what that beast looked like. But he saw this great and terrible beast and it had many horns, ten horns in fact, and there was a small eleventh horn on his head. And this beast was to represent Western civilization. The great Roman Empire And then as it continued through the years, the British Empire, the United States Empire, the great Western world. And Daniel saw this great beast, a beast of unquestioned power and supremacy throughout the world. In verses 9 through 14, however, something changes in Daniel's vision. Let me read to you beginning in verse 9 of Daniel 7. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him, from before him, Thousand thousands thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, this would be the horn on that final beast, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season In these verses, verses 9-14, through everything shifts. It shifts from the beast on the earth to the throne of heaven. Thousands upon thousands and ten thousands of ten thousands are standing around the throne praising God. And the Scriptures tell us that Daniel watches as this great fourth beast, this Western world empire, is slain. This will be the empire of the Antichrist. That eleventh little horn. And it is slain and its body is burned in fire. And after the destruction of this final beast, Daniel sees one who he calls the Son of Man. And the Son of Man comes and He stands before the Ancient of Days, God the Father standing, uh, sitting on His throne, and the Son of Man receives from God the Father dominion and glory, and power, and honor. And what we see here is the kingdoms of this world falling before a conquering king. Jesus, the conquering king. On a night long ago in Bethlehem, a young child was born named Jesus. Throughout His ministry, He called Himself the Son of Man. Matthew 8 verse 20 tells us that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Matthew 9 verse 6 tells us that the Son of Man had no power on earth, or had power on earth, excuse me, to forgive sins. Matthew 12 verse 8 tells us that this Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath day. Matthew 16 16 tells us that this Son of Man is the Christ the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, verse 27 tells us that this Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels for His kingdom and reward every man according to His works. Matthew 18, verse 11 tells us that this Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew 20, verse 28 tells us that this Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Matthew 24, verses 4-31 through tell us that this Son of Man will return again in the clouds of heaven in great power and glory and will gather His people from the four winds of the earth. This was the child that lay in that humble manger on that night so long ago. He is the King. He's been given dominion. He's been given power. He's been given glory by God the Father. He performed God's will on earth. He ascended into heaven victorious over the grave and He awaits the day when the final kingdom of this earth will be cast down and He will stand before the Ancient of Days and receive for Himself a kingdom in glory and honor and dominion. Jesus, The rejected king. Jesus, the conquering king. But here's the exciting one. Here's the one that should get you and I kind of jumping up and down a little bit. Your pastor doesn't do a lot of jumping up and down. But if he did, this would get him jumping up and down. Because Jesus is the returning king. He's the returning king. Turn with me one more time to Luke chapter 19. We join Jesus in Luke 19 soon before his final entrance into Jerusalem, what we often call the triumphal entry. Jesus is at the house of a tax collector, a man named Zacchaeus. Have you ever heard the song associated with Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today, right? For I'm going to your house today. That's Zacchaeus. That's the one. That's the one that we see here in Luke 19. And scriptures tell us that Jesus went to the house of Zacchaeus. And through the interactions with with Jesus, Zacchaeus says, Lord, I'm going to repay everyone I've cheated and I'm going to give them more. He he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And it says that while Jesus was at Zacchaeus' house, there were many around him that day, marveling that he would be around such a wicked man. And because there were so many around, that knowing he was about to go up to Jerusalem, thought that Jesus would immediately bring his kingdom, the Scriptures tell us Jesus gave a parable. And that parable begins in chapter 19, verse 11. Look at it with me. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and, sent him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us, and it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained. And we know the parable we talked about that not long ago. And the scriptures tell us here that when he returned, he returned with a kingdom. And in verse 27, he says, Those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Is there anything more comforting when you are in a situation where there's a lack of confidence or there's trepidation in hearing those words, I'll be back for you? When I was a kid, I was a very shy boy. I'm still very introverted in many ways. Kind of strange for a pastor. But I'm a very introverted person. I was a very shy boy. And I would get invited to birthday parties and I'd say, no thanks. And my parents would say, nope, you're going. I'd say, but I don't want to go. I don't want to be around those kids. I don't want to know. I don't want to interact. They'd say, you're going. They came to your birthday party. You're going to their birthday party. That sort of thing. And so I'd go and i tell you the words that I longed to hear as I stepped out of the car is, I'll be back in two hours. See, because then at least I knew there was a comfort in knowing that they were going to come back for me. (laughs) They'd be back. It's it's only a short amount of time. I just have to bear with it for a little bit of time. You say, Pastor, was that really how you were around birthdays? Yeah, it kind of was. Wasn't a big fan of those. I'll be back though. I'm coming back for you. What comfort in those words? I'm coming back. You know, as Jesus Christ left this earth, just prior to His ascension into heaven, do you recall what the disciples said in Acts chapter 1? Lord, wilt Thou now at this time restore Thy kingdom? Is Your kingdom now? Okay, You've died. You've risen from the grave. You're the living Savior. Will You now restore Your kingdom? And He said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You just keep busy until I come. He ascends into heaven and everyone is staring into heaven. Jesus is gone and the angels appear and they say what? Why in the world are you staring up in the sky? He'll be back for you. Don't worry about it. He's coming back. Go get busy. Get busy doing what you're supposed to do. That was the parable that Jesus Christ gave here in Luke chapter 19. He said, a man went to receive his kingdom and he told his servants who he left in that land, stay busy till I come back. I'm coming back for you. And the people of that land called and they, they wrote to this king and they said, don't worry about coming back, we don't want you. But that didn't stop him. We live in a world that has rejected the king." but that's not going to stop the King from returning. He is the rejected King. He is the conquering King. And He's the coming King. You read the newspaper every day. You hear the news every day. You see what's happening around us every day. And you know, it's kind of like that, isn't it? You were born again you began reading your Bible. You saw the big picture. You recognized that, that this world is lost in sin and it's kind of like Pastor Wickler at those birthday parties. He's just kind of sitting in the corner watching everyone play pin the tail on the donkey and wondering when mom's going to show up. We're here. We're on this earth and we have work to do. But rest assured, God has not forgotten about us. The time is ticking. And some point on God's timetable, the alarm is going to go off and God's going to look at His Son and He's going to say, it's time for you to come back. And on that day, there will be no more rejection of the King. No one will reject Him. Every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess that that young boy in a manger that everyone's trying to strip from the history books and strip from celebrations and strip from memorials, every single person on this earth will look at that young child, now a man, now a conquering king, and they will bow their knee and out of every one of their mouths they will say these words, Jesus Christ is lord Hitler will bow his knee before Jesus Christ and say Jesus Christ is lord Stalin will bow his knee before Christ and say Jesus Christ is lord the most wicked man the most wicked woman it doesn't matter they are rejecting him today but he's coming again and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is lord Now, there's many applications that we could make to a message such as this. I'm going to shorten the application this evening because I want it to be something that you reflect on more than you seek to apply. But let me just give you a few ways that you could go with this if you so feel inclined this week. Perhaps a few ways the Holy Spirit can take you this week with this message. A king is meant to be honored. Not all kings are honored. But a king is meant to be honored. A king is meant to be obeyed. Not all kings are obeyed, but a king is meant to be obeyed. A king is meant to be served. All of these can and will happen in our lives as well as everyone else's, either today or in the future. But let's take some time this week as I encouraged you to do this morning and to reflect. We reflected this morning and Lord willing throughout the week on the reality of of Jesus Christ as the prophet. The promised one. The one that has interceded between us and God. This evening, let's reflect on Jesus Christ as the King. A King. A King who humbled Himself and became a man. A King who humbled Himself and took upon Himself our sin. A King who has gone to receive a kingdom. And we read in Daniel 7 the event where he received that kingdom when this final world empire is slain. And when he's received his kingdom, praise God, he's coming back for his own. And we'll be with him. Our King for all eternity. And so as the song goes, we'll sing it at the very end of the night tonight. Glory to the newborn King.